0: hello beautiful ladies so happy to be here and to see your lovely faces what a blessing and guess where we're gonna go isaiah chapter which one do you know 49 gonna start out with 49 praise the lord Let's have a word of prayer. Oh, Father, how we thank you, how we praise you. Lord, we thank you for your comfort. We thank you for your goodness, your love, your mercy, your grace. We thank you for your word, Lord, that we have it in our hands, that we can read it tonight and study it. And we pray, oh, Lord, that you will have your way with us tonight. We pray that your Holy Spirit would speak to our hearts, that you would open our eyes to truth That you would teach us, God, exactly what you want us to know. And, oh, Lord, that we would be obedient to your word. How we thank you and praise you that we can gather together and that we can get in your word. We praise your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Chapter 49. You know what? Isn't Isaiah an amazing book? I think if nothing else, you're going to come away with this book and how applicable it is to today. What we're going through today, we see all throughout the pages of Isaiah. I wanted to emphasize the fact that Isaiah was written 700 years before Jesus. It's amazing the prophecies that are given in Isaiah about Messiah. Because you see... This particular part of Isaiah is talking about Messiah. Every chapter has mention of Messiah, and chapter 53 is completely prophecy of what Messiah would do and what would happen in his life. It was written 700 years before Jesus, and there are three parts. The prophecies of condemnation, the history of Hezekiah's time, and then the prophecies of comfort. Don't you love comfort? I love comfort. What a blessing that we get to study this part of Isaiah. Comfort. Why were they talking about comfort? Because these people had been in bondage. They had. They were facing uh, being taken away from their country to Babylon. It was a hard, difficult time, and yet... Isaiah was coming, not only with prophecy of what was going to happen, but also the prophecy that our God is a redemptive God. He's a God who restores. He's a God who renews. Isn't that comfort for us? To know that even when I blow it, when I mess up, that I can go to God and be forgiven for my sins? And he says he removes that sin as far as the east is from the west. That's a comfort, isn't it? I'm thinking of this season that we're really getting ready to celebrate. And and the one of the carols says, I bring you uh, tidings of comfort and joy. And that's what these chapters are all about. God's comfort for his ch- children. They were going to be delivered. He's promising hope. He's promising restoration. And, you know, our world today is looking for hope, isn't it? the ravages of what our world's going through, this COVID. I'll be glad when COVID disappears, won't you? But God wants to say, hey, I'm the God of hope. I'm the God of restoration. And the basis for their hope and the the basis for our hope is our awesome, powerful God, sovereign God. He hasn't forgotten about us. He hadn't forgotten about them. They could trust that he was still in control, he was still on the throne, he still had a plan. Isn't that an awesome verse? I know the plans I have for you, plans for good, not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. They also were promised that Babylon, although Babylon would carry them away, that eventually God would bring them back. And eventually that Babylon would be destroyed and judged. God's people will be released from captivity and back in the promised land. The next comfort that he gave was because of their deliverer, Jesus, the Messiah. Do you know Messiah is only mentioned two times in the New Testament? It literally means anointed one. And we know who Messiah was. Messiah was Jesus. So we're going to look now at uh, chapter 49 and look at Messiah's mission. This anointed one had a mission. And it starts out, listen to me. Haven't you said that a million times as a mother? Listen to me. I have something to say. And pay attention, you peoples from afar. The Lord called me from the womb, from the body of my mother. He named me. He has made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand, he has concealed me. He has made me a select arrow. He has hidden me in his quiver. He said to me, you are my servant, Israel. Now, who is it speaking of? It's speaking of Jesus, of Messiah. Listen to me. God said, the Messiah will come. They had waited for Messiah, but God had a perfect timing. And you know what? In our lives, too, he has a perfect timing. He knows exactly when to do what he's going to do. Listen, pay attention. Messiah is going to do a work. And he called, he's called Israel here because Israel had failed to do the work God had sent them to do. He wanted them to be a light in the world. And instead, they participated in the darkness. And now Messiah was going to come and be that light to the world. God wanted his people to be a light to the Gentiles. But again, they failed in that calling that God had called them to. So now Messiah was going to be a light not only to the Jews, but to the Gentiles. God had a mission for a Messiah. He would be the light in the dark world, and he would would glorify God. You know, God has a way of setting up divine appointments. Have you noticed that in your life? I got on an airplane not too long ago, and as I was getting on, a man was behind me, and he kept saying, for the love of God, for the love of God. He wasn't saying it saying, oh, the love of God. No, he was in a cussing way saying, for the love of God. So we got on the airplane, and sure enough, he was sitting right beside me. And he was still spouting, for the love of God, for the love of God. And finally, he was, just, he was so angry because, first of all, uh, they weren't going to serve alcohol. This was before they allowed that again. And he was very upset. And he said, when I'm in my 70s, I'll never fly on an airplane again. I said, I'm in my 70s. For the love of God, why are you on an airplane in your 70s? I said, well, I'm going to go speak at a conference. A conference? About what? I said, for the love of God. (laughs) (laughs) I tell you what, God gave me a divine appointment with that man, and he gave me the very words to say. Do you know that he would not leave me alone the whole entire trip? He kept asking me questions. And then I was reading a book. He, Well, what is the book about? Well, it's about the love of God, dude. You know, (laughs) you're just not going to get away from it. I thought, Lord, you're amazing. You just never know. In the book of Colossians 4, 3, it says this. Pray that God will open to us a door for the word so that we might speak the mystery of Christ. The Jews had failed in that mission. So God said, now's the time. Messiah was called from his mother's womb. He called me from the womb. He formed me from the womb to be his servant. In Galatians 4, 4, it says this. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. What was his mission? Galatians 4, 5 says to redeem those who were under the law, that they might receive adoption as sons. You know what? That's our mission, too, to spread forth his light in this very, very dark world. And the awesome thing is that we have the Holy Spirit inside of us. The Holy Spirit who literally can open that door for the word and give us the very words to say. Sometimes it's just spread some seed and that seed takes root and starts growing. And then he'll bring somebody else to harvest that seed. It's so awesome because we all have something to do in God's plan. Of bringing salvation to this world. His mission to redeem those who were under the law. Because they couldn't keep the law. They couldn't save themselves. They couldn't do enough to earn salvation. But basically the law just showed them that they couldn't. And they needed a savior. Then the description of the deliverer, his mouth was like a sharp sword. When I read that, I thought Hebrews 4.12, the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Is that what God's word does when you read it? It's so awesome how God's word can convict us can show us the truth about us. And I'm thankful for that. I don't like it when he does, but I need it. I'm so glad that when I start going my way, the Holy Spirit is there to convict my heart and pull me back to himself. So he was, had a mouth like a sharp sword, like a polished shaft, a select arrow. He's hidden me in his quiver in the shadow of his hand. And God said to him, you, verse 3, you are my servant, in whom I will be glorified. You know what, ladies? Now you are his servants. He's called you out of darkness into light. And he wants you to be the one to glorify him. I remember when I was a little kid, um, I was in the Presbyterian church, and one thing that particular church had was the little catechism, little pink catechism. And one of the questions in that catechism was, What is man's chief end? Man's chief end is to glorify God. Isn't that an awesome privilege that we have, to glorify him? At times for Jesus, it felt like his labor was in vain. It goes on down to say that. It says it, um, I'm trying to find that verse, 5. He formed me to bring Jacob back to him, raise up the tribes of Jacob, restore Israel's preserved ones, be a light to the Gentiles. But sometimes it felt like it it wasn't happening because the religious leaders opposed him. The disciples didn't even understand so many times what he was talking about. It just went over their heads. And also many times he helped some who never came back to say thank you. It could be so discouraging, and yet he wasn't discouraged. He knew what his mission was, and he was going to continue to do it. In verses 8 through 13, we see promises from God. He promised them preservation. He promised them restoration, inheritance, provision, and mercy. We're given promises in his word. And he says, will you believe? Will you trust And the saddest thing in this chapter to me is when we get to verse 14. Because in those 8 through 13, he's saying, I will do this, I will do this, I will keep you, I will give you, I will restore, I will do all these things. And then what did they say? What was their response in verse 14? But Zion said, the Lord has forsaken me and the Lord has forgotten me. How sad. God was doing everything he said he would do, and yet they still did not trust him. You've forsaken me. Have you ever thought that? God, this isn't fair. Why am I going through this? Look at Kathy over there. Why, let her go through that, not me. It's not fair. God, do you really love me? God, do you really care about me? This is what they were saying. And I love God's response. Look at verse 15. Can a woman forget her nursing child and have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget, but I will not forget you. And ladies, he's saying that to you today. Sometimes we find ourselves in situations and we feel like maybe God isn't even there. He's forgotten. And yet that's a lie from the pit. I love that. Can a woman forget her nursing child? God hasn't forgotten you. He knows exactly where you are. He knows exactly what you're going through. And he says, I'm with you. I love you. Even these may forget, but I will not forget you. And just in case... He might forget. What does it say in verse 16? Behold, I have inscribed you on the palms of my hands. Wow. That inscribed literally means engraved, cut into remembrance. He doesn't forget. He never leaves us. He never forsakes us. He's always there. Turn with me to Isaiah 40 which you're very familiar with. But look back at 40, and I want you to see one part, um, verse 27. It's the same thing that they say to him. Oh, that's 41. No wonder it didn't look right. Verse 27 says, Why do you say, O Jacob, and assert, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and the justice due me escapes the notice of, Of my God. Why have you forgotten me, God? Then God replies, Do you not know? Have you not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, does not become weary or tired. His understanding is inscrutable. He gives strength to the weary, and to him who lacks might, he increases power. I haven't forgotten you. I am your God. I am with you. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Turn with me to Isaiah 66. We'll go a little bit ahead and look at verses 12 and 13. For thus says the Lord, Behold, I extend peace to her like a river. And the glory of the nations like an overflowing stream. And you will be nursed. You will be carried on the hip and fondled on the knees. As one whom his mother comforts, so I will comfort you. And you will be comforted in Jerusalem. I think about a mother with a little child. I love how God gives these analogies of a mother and a child. A nursing mother. And now, a mother that carries, have you? I know many of you in here have carried babies on your hip, right? Get some work done. You have one arm that's still able to move and got that baby hanging off the hip. What a beautiful picture. And then when it talks about on the knees, uh, you know how you're trying to get a baby asleep and you lay the the baby on your knees and you just kind of start jiggling your knees to get that baby to sleep? or you go back and forth with your knees to get the baby asleep. This is the analogy he's given. It's like we're his children. We're being carried by by him on his hip. We're being uh, brought to sleep. He takes care of us in every way. And I love these two places. He uses the analogy of the mother and the child to say, I care for you just like a mother cares for her child. What beautiful pictures for us of our loving Heavenly Father who loves us so much and takes such good care of us. I pray we would not forget who he is and what he has done and will do for us. He's so faithful. So now we're going to go to chapter 50. This is Messiah's obedience. Number 2, verse 2, he asks a question. He says, Why was there no man when I came, when I called? Why was there none to answer? Is my hand so short that it cannot ransom? Or have I no power to deliver? Behold, I dry up the sea with my rebuke. I make the rivers a wilderness. You see, we serve an awesome, powerful God. And many times we put him on our level. Can God do this? I don't think so. He is the God of the impossible. He is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above and beyond anything we can imagine. But he's saying to us with this question, will you trust me? Will you realize who I am? Will you realize the power that I have? I can do anything. It's a matter of faith and trusting in him. I love it. He says, is my hand too, so short it cannot ransom, or I have no power to deliver? He has all of it, doesn't he? Yes, Lord, you do, and you can. Verse 4 says, the Lord God has given me the tongue of disciples that I may know how to sustain the weary with a word. He awakens me morning by morning. He awakens my ear to listen as a disciple. The Lord God has opened my ear, and I was not disobedient, nor did I turn back. Has God sustained you when you're weary? He sustained Messiah. When we think about Jesus in that Garden of Gethsemane, you know, for us as humans, we don't know what's around the corner in our lives we don't know what might happen, what may come in a day. But Jesus knew all of it, didn't it? Didn't he? He knew what he would face on the cross. Not only the suffering uh, in his body, but the suffering in his soul. Because he knew he was going to take our punishment. He was going to take upon himself our sin, our iniquities. And he wept those tears, those drops of blood as he was in the Garden of Gethsemane. In Hebrews, look at Hebrews chapter 5, verses 7 and 8. Hebrews 5, 7 and 8. It says this. In the days of his flesh, he offered up both prayers and supplications with loud crying and tears to the one able to save him from death. And what was he saying? Oh, Lord, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. He wanted the will of the Father above everything else. But it shows what he was going through. And he was heard because of his piety. Although he was a son, he learned obedience from the things he suffered. And having been made perfect, he became to all those who obey him the source of eternal salvation being designated by God as a high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. He was willing to suffer. He was willing to die so that we might have a relationship with the Father, that he could be that mediator between God and man. We don't have to go through anybody else except through Jesus. He was willing. He learned obedience to the things he suffered. He suffered In Gethsemane, he suffered on the cross. He understands what we go through when we suffer. He understands when we are learning obedience through our suffering. And he is the one that empathizes with us. I love that. He understands. He's there to comfort us. No matter what we're going through, he's been there. He's experienced temptation. He's experienced death. All of it. And he's there for us. And then in verse 6 of chapter 50, we see a messianic prophecy. I gave my back to those who strike me and my cheeks to those who pluck out my beard. I did not cover my face from humiliation and spitting. And in Matthew, chapter 26, verse 67, it says this, Then they spat in his face and beat him, and others struck him with the palms of their hands. Fulfillment of this very prophecy given 700 years before. How powerful. And now we go to chapter 51. And this is Messiah's encouragement. To Israel. And I love this chapter because he is giving several verses. Start out with, listen to me. That's verse one. Verse four, pay attention to me, give ear to me. And then you look down at verse seven, listen to me, you who know righteousness, a people in whose heart is my law. Verse nine, awake, awake. Put on strength, O arm of the Lord. Awake, as in the days of old, the generations of long ago. Listen, pay attention, awake. Verse 11. Rouse, uh, let's see, let's see, verse 11. Okay, 11 through, so the ransom of the Lord will return and come with joyful shouting to Zion, and everlasting joy will be on their heads. They will obtain gladness and joy, And sorrow and sighing will flee away. I, even I, am he who comforts you. Who are you that you're afraid of man who dies? So many times the fear of man enters our hearts. And we'd rather please them than pleasing him. Listen. Pay attention. He's the one we need to serve. He's the one we need to bow down to. You know, we see this a lot in churches today. Sadly enough, they're afraid of you to talk about certain things in God's word for fear of making people feel uh, angry and upset because you dared to broach that subject. It's a sad, sad thing that we see happening. Are you going to let the fear of man come before your fear of God? And then he says that you have forgotten the Lord your maker who stretched out the heavens and laid the foundations of the earth. That you fear continually all day long because of the fury of the oppressor and he makes ready to destroy. But where is the fury of the oppressor? The exile will soon be set free and will not die in the dungeon, nor will his bread be lacking. For I am the Lord your God who stirs up the sea and its waves roar. The Lord of hosts is his name. I have put my words in your mouth and have covered you with the shadow of my hand to establish the heavens to be found the earth to found the earth and to say to Zion, you are my people. You know, I think the enemy operates in fear. Fear of the future. Fear of man. Fears that can come upon us in so many ways. And God says, again, will you trust me? Will you rest in me? Will you lean not to your own understanding? Turn with me real quick to Proverbs chapter 3. Verses 5 and 6. And it's something you all have read and know. Look at verse 5. It says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And do not lean on your own understanding. It literally means do not choose to lean on your own understanding. Because I have a choice. Am I going to trust in God and what God's Word says? Or am I going to lean to my futile reasoning, my speculations, uh, my perverted thinking and reasoning? You know how uh, something might happen with a friend or a, a relative, and in your mind you're thinking, well, the next time I see them, I'm going to say this, and then they're going to say this, and then I'm going to say this back, Right? And you get in all these speculations of what's going to happen, but it hadn't even happened yet. Are the speculations of, oh my goodness, I don't have any money. What's, what am I going to do for Christmas? Oh, And we just go on and on and on with our futile reasoning that most of the time never happens. Will you trust me? Don't lean to that reasoning. Choose to trust me. Choose to rest in me. Choose to know that I am God. I am faithful. I'm with you. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I always have promised I will provide for you. And then he says, in all your ways. How many's all? All your ways. Acknowledge him. But you know, acknowledge sounds like, well, I acknowledge that there are a lot of ladies sitting out there. That's not really investing me with you guys. I acknowledge you. This literally means in all your ways, know him. Know him intimately. In all your ways, know him. And it's promises he will make your paths straight. What an awesome promise from God. It says, do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from from evil. It will be healing to your body and refreshment to your bones. What an awesome admonition for us. That's what he's saying back here in 51. Are you going to trust me? Have you forgotten the Lord, your maker, who stretched out the heavens and laid the foundations of the earth that you you fear continually? all day long because of the fury of the oppressor. The enemy can really come against us with fear, can't he? That's one of his greatest tools, is fear. And God says, fear not. I am with you. And then in 17, another admonition, rouse yourself, rouse yourself, arise, O Jerusalem. You who have drunk from the Lord's hand the cup of his anger, Yes. Why? Because of their sin. But now God is saying, hear this, verse 21, you afflicted who are drunk but not with wine. Thus says your Lord, the Lord, even your God, who contends for his people. I love Second Chronicles 20. When Jehoshaphat feared because all these enemies were coming against him and he didn't know what he was going to do. He couldn't defend himself from all these enemies. And it says he feared and he sought the Lord. And when he sought the Lord, God gave him a battle plan. And that battle plan was to send the praise man out first. That was not a plan that you would like to hear as the head of the nation. What? What? I'm not to send my most ferocious warriors out. No, the praise band. And I don't want them to go out trying to hit them with their guitars. No, I want them to go out praising me and worshiping me and singing praises to me. And what did God do? He fought the battle. He kept saying the battle is not yours. It's mine. Let me fight your battles. That's what he's saying to us tonight. Let me fight your battles. I'm mighty God. I'm powerful God. I'm awesome God. I can do it. And sure enough, as they were praising God, what happened? The enemy started killing each other. What a way to go to battle, right? Wow. They started killing each other. One group killed another group, and then that group turned around and killed the next group. And right before their eyes, they watched the enemy completely taken care of because God fought the battle. One of my most favorite things to do is go through the Old Testament and see how God fought the battles. Sometimes he'd send big old hunky hailstones and hit them in the head and do do them in. I mean, he had all these amazing plans. God's very creative with battle plans. And God would always be victorious. So he says, listen, awake, rouse yourself, hear this. Remember who I am I want to go back to verse 2 it says look to Abraham your father and to Sarah who gave birth to you in pain Abraham and Sarah two old people and it says in the book of Hebrews Abraham as good as dead he was old I mean she was old and he was older but what did God do Look to them, look what God did through them. And then he says the remnant leaving Babylon. He says when says when he was but one I called him and then I blessed him and I multiplied him. Remember he would take Abraham out and show him the stars, oh you're gonna have children like the stars of the sky. Did that seem impossible? You better believe it. The most impossible thing, especially at his age. But God was faithful. Indeed, the Lord will comfort Zion. You're coming out of Babylon. You're weak. You're small. You have nothing. But it's, but he said, but God the Lord will. Will comfort Zion. He will comfort her in all her waste places and her wilderness. He will make like Eden and her desert like the garden of the Lord. Joy and gladness will be found in her, thanksgiving and the sound of melody. That seemed like an impossibility. We're captives in Babylon. How is this going to happen? God says, Will you trust me? Will you trust me? Just as Abraham and Sarah trusted me. And look what I did. You're a nation. Because of what I did through those two old people. I'm an old person. I realized that when COVID hit. Anybody over 65 is old. I thought, well, I qualify. I didn't even know I was old till then. But God. I want those two words to just melt in your heart. But God. But God. God who is faithful. He can do it all. Turn with me to Psalm 73. Psalm 73. I love this psalm. I never knew this psalm until recently, but I love it. And it was written by Asaph, and Asaph was a choir director for David and Solomon. And he starts out this psalm making a statement about God. He says, God is good to Israel and to those who are pure in heart. Amen, brother. So true. But then he goes on to say something. He says, but... As for me, my feet came close to stumbling. My steps had almost slipped for I was envious of the arrogant and I saw the prosperity of the wicked. In other words, he looked around and he said, wait a minute. I'm serving God. I'm a choir director for the king. But it seems like I'm not prospering like those people over there. They just seem to be prospering. They seem to be getting away with things. They thumb their nose at God and they seem to be doing fine. We might look around in our nation and say, I don't get it. I'm serving God and I'm the one suffering. What's going on? And ASAP goes on and on for many verses talking about this. He says in verse 16, when I pondered to understand this, it was troublesome in my sight. I don't get it, God. It's not fair. Why are they doing well and not me? And then look at verse 17. Until I came into the sanctuary of God, then I perceived therein. I saw the truth. You see, sometimes the enemy is lying to us, lying to us in our hearts lying to us in what we see around us but when we come to God's word when we come to studying his word looking into his word then we can see truth his word is our truth there's so many lies out there and these lies are being fostered on our children and our grandchildren and all in this world it's a plan of the enemy But listen, God's word is truth. His word is truth. He says, when I entered the sanctuary of God, I perceived their end. Surely you set them in slippery places. You cast them down to destruction. How they are destroyed in a moment. They're utterly swept away by sudden terrors. Like a dream when one awakes. Oh, Lord, when aroused, you will despise their form. And then look over at verse 25. And this is such an awesome statement. Whom have I in heaven but you? You might say, I don't have anybody, I'm all alone. Some of us that have husbands and children might say, I feel all alone. Who do I have in heaven but you? And besides you, and this should be our hue and cry, besides you, I desire nothing on this earth. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God, I love the but Gods of the Bible, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. God doesn't just meet us halfway. He's with us all throughout our life. He's our strength. He's our portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you will perish. You have destroyed all those who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, the nearness of God is my good. I have made the Lord God my refuge that I may tell of all your works. But God, he's our refuge. He's our strength. He's our ever-present help in time of need. Isn't that an awesome promise from our God that should be our banner that we wave? I have him here, and I have him for eternity. He's with me now and forever. I know here, and I know eternally I will be with him. That's the greatest knowledge we can have. That gives us hope, hope for now and hope for for forever. Remember. Psalm 37.3 says, dwell in the land, the land of his word, in his sanctuary. And it says, feed on his faithfulness. Because the enemy would have you feed on so many other things, fears and doubts and what ifs. Have you ever lived in the realm of what if? He says, will you feed on my faithfulness? Well, you feed on my word and what my word says versus what the enemy is whispering in your ear. But God, have you ever gotten a but call? That's what they call it. When somebody's phone dials you out of the blue and they didn't mean to, have you ever had that happen? Have you ever done it? I have. One day I got a phone call and I didn't recognize the number, it was from Texas. And I thought, who in the world is that? So I redialed the number, dialed back, and this lady answered. I had no clue who she was, and I'm frankly thinking, you called me, tell me who you are, right? Well, it was a lady that I had called two years previously. Her daughter had very suddenly died. She was 19 years old. She very suddenly passed away. And a friend of hers had given me her number to call her because my daughter died at 19 also. And she wanted me to call her and, and just share with her. And I had done that two years ago, but I I forgot. I see a lot of people I didn't remember. So she, when she answered the phone, and I said, Hi, uh, this is Janie, Alfred, you called me? And I could hear her kind of go, huh, you know, shock, right? And she said, Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, And then she started talking as if I knew who she was. And then as we talked, I kind of figured out who it was finally. And she said, you know what? I'm so mad. I'm so upset with God. She said, every time I hear the verse, all things work together for good, it makes me angry because it has not worked for good. My daughter died. I don't understand. And she was very, very upset. And we just began talking. And as we talked, the Holy Spirit started doing a work in her heart. It was so awesome. I had nothing to do with it. I was like the donkey. But the Holy Spirit brought her up out of that pit that she had been in. And at the end of the conversation, she said this to me. I didn't call you. I said, you didn't? She said, I butt-dialed you. She said, but in reality, my phone was here because I was moving a mattress. And as I moved the mattress, I think it dialed your number. You know who dialed my number? God. And she, it, it's been so exciting because now she's become my prayer partner. And we pray for girls or for people who lose children. I hear about it. I call Heidi. And she prays with me. We've become a prayer team in that realm. And God has lifted her out of the pit that she was in. But God, ladies, but God, he's got your number. And if he needs to, he'll dial somebody out of the blue just so they can talk to you. He's so faithful and he's so good. Remember, dwell in the land and feed on his Faithfulness. Now, 52 starts in the same way, and I'm probably finished, am I? Right? I don't know. I'm on California time. I have plenty of time, but (laughs) I don't know. I think we're right there. I'm going to go really fast with this 52, if I can find Isaiah again. Okay, 52. There we go. Isaiah 52 starts out the same way, kind of like awake, awake. He's trying to get everybody's attention here. Awake, awake. Where is awake? It's the next page. Okay. Clothe yourselves in your strength, O Zion. Clothe yourselves in your beautiful garments, O Jerusalem, the holy city. For the uncircumcised, the unclean, will no longer come unto you. Shake yourselves from the dust. Rise up. Loose yourself from the chains around your neck. Sometimes we need to get sh- shaken up. God needs to get our attention. I think through what our our country's been going through, He has our attention. Have you noticed that? Wake up. And then it says on verse 7, How lovely on the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who announces peace and brings good news of happiness, who announces salvation and says to Zion, Your God reigns. This is the time for us to be a testimony of our God and his faithfulness every step of the way. People are listening now. It's amazing to me when COVID happened and everybody was shut up, God's word started going forth like never before. I've never seen so many people on Facebook, preachers, preaching the truth, preaching the word. And people have gotten saved through COVID. Isn't that incredible? God is amazing. And sometimes as we go through difficult times, through difficult trials, it's like God manifests himself in a new way. Wake up. Pay attention, how beautiful are the feet who bring good news. And, and the, net, the 13 through 15, again, another prophecy of Messiah. My servant will prosper. He will be high and lifted up and greatly exalted, just as many were exhausted, astonished at you, my people. So his appearance was marred more than any man. His form more than the sons of men. Thus he will sprinkle, sprinkle many nations. Kings will shut their mouths on account of him, for what had not been told them they will see, and what they had not heard they will understand. God wants his people to know truth. There's one section, verse 11. It says this Depart, depart. Go out from them. Touch nothing unclean. Go out of the midst of her. Purify yourself, you who carry the vessels of the Lord. Many times today, I see Christians in compromise. Christians living without, living together without being married. I see compromise in so many arenas, and they think God's just winking at it. He's a God of holiness. He's a God of righteousness. He says, be holy as I am holy. We have emphasized the love of God, the mercy of God, the grace of God. But, ladies, we need to emphasize the holiness of God. Because you know what they're saying up in heaven? They're repeating one word three times. Holy, holy. He doesn't wink at sin. I had a couple come to me recently who had moved in together. They knew better. They were raised in Christian homes, went to Christian school, knew all the the truth. And yet, we'll just compromise a little bit. It's okay. It's not going to bother. Well, it did. And, And I'll tell you what, they really reaped from what they had sown. And she called me one day crying. She said, I need help. I need help. Newly married after that. It was so sad. And yet, you see, God says, listen, if you do it my way, you're going to have peace. You're going to have joy. Purify yourselves, he says. Depart. Depart from ungodliness. And lastly, we hit chapter 53, and it's purely the suffering servant. A picture of what our Savior went through because of us. Look at verse 4. Surely our griefs he he himself bore and our sorrows he carried. Yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken smitten of God and afflicted. He was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him. He took the punishment for me and you. He died in our place. Wow. Um, Isaiah 53, 3. He was despised and forsaken. In John 1.11 it says he came to his own and his own did not receive him. Luke 23.18 says, And they all cried out at once saying away with this man and release to us Barabbas. All these things were fulfilled in Jesus Isaiah 53, 7, he was oppressed, he was afflicted, but he didn't open his mouth like a lamb that is led to slaughter, like a sheep that is silent before its shearers. He did not open his mouth. In John 12, oh, excuse me, in um, Mark 15, 4 and 5, it says, then Pilate asked him again, saying, do you answer nothing? See how many things they testify against you? But Jesus still answered nothing so that Pilate marveled. Wow. Isaiah 53, 12 says, Therefore I will divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong. Because he poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors. He bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Mark 15, 27 and 28 says, With him they also crucified two robbers, one on his right, And the other on his left. So the scripture was fulfilled which says he was numbered with the transgressors. One last one. Isaiah 53, 9. They made his grave with the wicked. But with the rich at his death because he had done no violence nor was any deceit in his mouth. Matthew 27. 57 through 60 says, Now when evening came, a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who had also become a disciple of Jesus, went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. When Joseph had taken the body, he wrapped it in a clean linen cloth, laid it in his new tomb, and rolled a large stone against the door. Ladies, if you go through Isaiah 53, Jesus fulfilled every single prophecy given 700 years before it ever took place is our God faithful to his word he is but God things look mighty bad but God he is with us let's pray Lord I thank you for your word I thank you for the power of your word. And, O Lord, I thank you that you are even the one that drops faith in our hearts to believe what you say. I lift up every lady in here, Lord. Draw us ever closer to yourself, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.